the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the lake of fire, the second death. These are images that flooded my adolescent mind alongside real-life stories of pastors in Soviet prisons and mental institutions. This was all alongside the ever-present possibility of a nuclear holocaust. Fast forward to today, we have Russian hackers, disinformation campaigns, fake news, conspiracy theories, and to top it all, a global pandemic. Surely, the stage is set. I'm Paul White, and this is Apocalypse, the Book of Revelation. Join me and my special guest and friend Pete Milner as we explore what God might be saying through this incredible book to us today. Hi everyone, and welcome to Chapter 4 of the Apocalypse on my sauntering podcast. And here I am with Pete Milner. Hi again, everybody. And we're going to have some adventures in chapter four today. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us and guide us and open this incredible chapter up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So once again, I shall read and we'll comment. And if you've got something to say, having heard what, what we're saying, you can hit the comments button and comment away. That'd be so interesting as well. Can I just ask you something before we read? Yeah. So far in the three chapters we've had so far, if you were just coming to it for the first time, and I know you're not, would you say that so far you've bumped into anything which would suggest to you that what you were looking at was a playbook for the end of days? No, except where Jesus says these things will are soon to to take place good but okay. obviously that's soon in the context of then which was two long time years ago now. yeah so it's not very soon for mm -hmm. us well i mean that's that's i guess an interesting question which will probably come up later but um i i just wanted to kind of put out there that i think most people in churches at least who are now reading revelation texts are beginning with the presumption that what they're reading yep. at is the textbook for how it will all unfold and I think so far, it'd be true to say, for me and for you, that chapters one, two and three do not read like that no. as far as we've got so far. I mean, maybe it will begin yeah. to change and shift. And I know that there's other information people go on as well. But let's just open the text and just have fresh eyes on it. Yes. That's all I'm saying. I mean, that's certainly the perspective I was brought up to really approach the whole book from. Mm. Was it this is imminent. It's literally at hand right mm. now. And we're poised and about to watch this great drama unfold as Good. per the beast and uh, all Whoa. the rest of it. Can't yes. wait. <laughs> to chapter so, four then. Yes, chapter four. So he says, after this, this is John again narrating. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I'd heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow 
that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Pete, this is a different kind of sense. It's like a development, isn't it? There's Mm. suddenly, like, he's been seeing this panorama, he's been having this, hearing these messages that are very specific Mm -hmm. to churches that he would have known about, no doubt, probably been there firsthand and visited them himself. And now that he sees this door open and it's like, whoa, there's a whole new thing we're about to see going on through the door. And there is so much in this which reminds us, you know, anyone who's read the Old Testament prophets, you will remember Isaiah chapter six or Ezekiel chapter one or maybe Daniel chapter seven. This whole like suddenly I'm in heaven and wow, you know, Mm -hmm. it's no longer about Kansas and Smyrna and stuff. It's about heaven and God's cosmic plan and the, the real supreme image of the one seated on the throne. And I think that this revelation or or unveiling or apocalypse of the one seated on the throne is sort of the whole point and and the sort of central pivot around which everything else in Revelation moves. Mm. Because the very practical details about the first century churches that John's writing to and the kind of cosmic plan for the ages and the identity of God sort of hinge on this, don't they? And, And it comes at a time where they needed it. Like when Ezekiel and Isaiah see it, the throne of God, it's like they really needed it. They really needed a way to see that God was in control right. and that God was seated in heaven, regal and, you know, mm-hmm. not shaken and not Unassailable. destroyed. Yeah, yeah. because of, of their earthly situation, which was so traumatic. Yeah. And obviously he's speaking to a persecution era church mm-hmm. and he's got that same sense of like God is seated above this and that he's supreme. Wow. And so he says, you know, again, there's this invitation to come up to participate. And and for me, this is probably one of the lovely bits about Revelation that I love, is this invitation for a human being in all his mortality to become involved in the business of heaven and the major kind of unfolding of events in heaven and on earth so he's like invited into the drama into the story not just to observe it but as we see he's actually invited to play a part in it yeah and it it rings true with um i know that you and your podcast and your preaching over the years you've been sort of touched by um the work of say michael heiser Mm -hmm. whose um books and and ministry try to kind of um, you know, unpick the knotted threads sure. in the Bible that show us the business of heaven. Because in that picture, we consistently see from Genesis to Revelation that God is not simply sat on top of it like a puppet master dangling helpless puppets, mm. but he's welcoming contributors, both heavenly, angelic and human, into his council, isn't he? And he's Incredible. unveiling his plan yeah. with consultation. Yes. Oh, so he says, come up here and I'll show you. And it's like this exciting invitation, isn't it? And then once again, like you picked up a couple of chapters ago, he says, once again, 
at once I was in the spirit. So yeah. he's popped. He was obviously still in the spirit from before, but now it's like he's aware that this is this is another dimension of mm. the spirit that he's kind of progressed into. I don't know how we understand that properly. Mm. But then he sees this one seated on the throne. Yeah, surrounded by the elders and the. I there are people who've tried to sort of name all twenty four. Mm. Sort of, it, it's um, you know maybe it's the twelve apostles plus the twelve tribes of Israel. Maybe it's a whole bunch of other characters who appeared in the uh, text of the Bible so far. I they we're not given their names, and at this point, I think it'd be speculative at best. So maybe yeah. best just let it be the twenty four elders. And so interestingly, on the subject of. The, the apostles. I mean, I, I that was my immediate question. Jesus had promised the apostles that they would sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of mm. Israel. There's no evidence from John that he recognises anyone, is there? No, and there's, there's another bit later on where the names of the 12 apostles are mentioned and written on um, part of the heavenly city and the heavenly framework, but he doesn't mention or comment on the idea that that might have been his name that's written on it. <laughs> said, one oh, would think it was like, there's me over there. <laughs> Pete Milner's throne. I'd be like, and Pete Milner's name yeah. was on there. Boy, oh boy. Like, yeah. But it clearly is, he's trying to be truthful about what he sees yeah. and not get too caught up in specific unnecessary levels sure. of detail. I mean, he's trying to show you what he saw and it may be that the sort of slightly more, you know, Saturday afternoon kinds of questions about details and people yeah. and places and things just simply maybe not time for it right yes because you you can't imagine that his vision of this is perfect even if the reality itself is perfect and on that pete he keeps using kind of little turns of phrase like and the one who sat there had the appearance Mm. of jasper and carnelian we don't even know whether that's jasper what we recognize as jasper hmm. or what some people think it's diamonds don't they sure and he had the the rainbow had the appearance of an emerald with it yeah. I, the more you think about that the more impossible it is to get your head inside john's kind of comparisons isn't it you know totally i mean the 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 kind of the philosophers amongst us have felt it's important over the years to sort of distinguish and differentiate between the created universe, which is all the cosmic galaxies, dust and particles and earths and planets and suns that make up, you know, reality as we know it. And then separate to that has to be God in his heaven. And so Einstein and helpful folks like him have told us that matter and light and energy are all kind of inextricably linked mm-hmm. together forming up the kind of matrix of reality that's what they say i don't really yeah. want to <laughs> but the the christian is sort of forced to say that whatever this is it's not really at its heart of hearts the same kind of matter energy and light that we're used to right we're not talking about suns we're not mm-hmm. talking about e equals mc squared we're talking about a different reality yes and john uses the language of matter energy and light to describe it but we right. shouldn't be thinking in terms of the normal universe's rules so he's think. not thinking like this is a string of emeralds all cut and sort of strung out like a rainbow but more <laughs> that it's got that kind of sparkly mm. jewelly quality it's yeah. just kind of light coming through it in all the facets and yeah I mean, this is the scripture and it's God's scripture, but this mm-hmm. is genuinely John's best attempt at describing yes. what he saw, isn't it? He's writing this on purpose using language he has. And we see that with Ezekiel mm. and Isaiah, don't we? He's like unto this. His yeah. 
face was like this, and the angels were like a wheel yeah. in a wheel, and you're like, what yeah, did with you eyes see? everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then, so around the throne, you, you've got this twenty, these twenty-four other thrones. Do have you any thought what that signifies, Pete? I think that really the what we've already said about the collaborative mm-hmm. council of God, yeah. the decision making, the the kind of place where things are decided, this is that. Isn't it interesting though, because God made the universe without reference to a human being. We, obviously. Mm. And yet now in this glorious environment called heaven, mm-hmm. where God God dwells. Yeah. He's actually invited human beings, presumably human beings, to yes. be part of that reference that he's now, I guess he doesn't need permission from them, but he he involves them in what he's doing. Absolutely. Incredible. I mean, the thing is that Revel- uh, Genesis chapter one does have God saying, let us yeah. make man in our image. Let, let us do this. You know, we will. And... The rabbis have always sort of slightly struggled on this one. And I've, I've looked at some really ancient um, and quite modern kind of texts from Jewish people who've, who've sort of wrestled with this theme. And, you know, the idea that God has a kind of royal collective we for himself is is the sort of most popular one. But it mm-hmm. doesn't go far enough at all to yeah. explain it. Whereas if you see this council, you know, or some people try and go all kind of God in Trinity says, let us make. Yeah. And. I think also that doesn't quite gather together this kind of scene. And I think starting with a scene like this is the most helpful way for me to imagine it. Let's do it. Any objections? <laughs> All right. I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but other times he shows himself to be incredibly open to being to having the course of history changed by contributors in this. Incredible. Thing. You know, he asks, who will go? Yeah. Or, who shall say? He or, waits for Abraham to negotiate, doesn't yeah. he? And say, surely not, Lord. Yeah. And he's like, well, make me an offer. <laughs> Moses. See what I think? You can't be serious, God. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, incredible. And here are these thrones and there are these elders there with their clothed in white garments. So they've been made holy mm-hmm. and presentable to be in God's presence like that. The golden crowns on their heads. So that gives them a sense of authority but and then we have this thing go, going on, don't we? That I don't know about you, Pete, but that reminds me of Exodus nineteen when Moses goes up on the mountain and the whole place is shaking. Sure. Is, everything's on fire, fire. <laughs> lightning, the sounds of a trumpet just getting louder and louder That's and louder. Right. It's, it's oh funny my. to imagine as a work environment, isn't it? How does anyone get anything done? <laughs> and Moses is there for forty days. Yes, just being cooked by it. <laughs> <laughs> but they, now we have all of this and John the Apostle is being invited into this that pr- previously he must have just heard of as a, as a lad and thought, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and again, this reference to the seven spirits of God, the seven torches of fire. Yeah. Representing, you know, obviously we know the spirit when he came at Pentecost, he was like flames of fire. Mm-hmm. It's all going on, isn't it? It sure is. And again, I think that it's right for us to see that the seven torches, the seven spirits, as it were, mm-hmm. the seven angels of the churches, the seven lampstands. The se- I think it's right for us to see that what's on the agenda for this little meeting is these seven churches. Mm. 
I think that that's yeah, right. I don't want to get into like the sevenfold spirit of mm-hmm. God as if that was somehow an important name for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think that what's at issue here is these same sevens <clears throat> that were in chapter one, yeah. chapter two, chapter three, and here in chapter four. So if you miss that, just back up to yeah, yeah, back chapter, up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so then this C, which is like glass, there's yeah. nowhere to hide. Someone said once. I thought that was mm. a good point. When you're in the presence of God, there's nowhere to hide. That's great. And I know you're a bit of a craftsman and you're kind of interested in stuff like that. And I I like to try and imagine what John sees um, this as an equivalent to. Because I think making truly flat, shiny surfaces is something that in the ancient world would have taken the most expertise, the most time, the most... You know, when they saw something that was really flat and shiny, they were thinking, I'm in the presence of almost divine levels of craftsmanship. Whereas for us, you know, we can get machined out granite. We can get sort of polished glass and stuff from factories that churn out millions of square meters of it. So I think some of this impression is lost. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the... No, that's a very good point. I think it's right to say, like, what he's looking at is an almost fabulously and impossibly beautiful level of wow. serene, still what kind of... What a great of, point. Oh, yeah. glistening. What a great point. So it's as it were a sea. So it's you can't really, we live by the sea and you can't see the end of it. That's the mm. whole point. And I guess this is the same thing. It's, it's this huge vista yeah, of vastness so. and gloriousness. Mm. So in around the throne, verse six, on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. That reminds us of Ezekiel's vision, doesn't it? Very much, yeah. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Talk to me. Do you know what? Um, he's. This is a clear. This has clear parallels in the Old Testament, it, particularly with Isaiah chapter six and Ezekiel chapter one. Mm-hmm. If you want to read those and and tell us about what sort of correlations you can see, then please, we'd love to hear from you. But what I think that he's seeing, uh, some people have tried a bit too hard to interpret and overinterpret this mm-hmm. and try and treat it like a mystical symbol for something. And I've heard people say, oh, the four creatures are the four Gospels. Oh, yeah, I've heard that one. Oh, it's Tosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid that having examined it you quite carefully, I really, don't, I really don't <laughs> dig it. There is a sense in which Matthew, Mark and Luke, because they do take such a similar approach, they do use each other's texts, they do kind of sit in line with each other, they are like the land dwelling creatures and that John is the one looking at it in 3D. He's so different to the other three that he see you could say it's like an it's eagle like soaring you, over right. the top and looking at the same thing. Different perspective. There is some senses in which it's like, you know, the ox is like the the kind of hard work of the kingdom, which one of them emphasizes, whereas the lion is more like the kind of regal royal Jewish lineage of Jesus. I get it, but it's a it's a charming act of interpretation by really really dedicated and devoted mm-hmm. disciples, but I'm afraid I can't get there as as a sort of sure. hard and fast rule. So I think that what he's seeing is this continuous, present, 
worship of God with creatures and, and assembly so fabulous yeah. that it staggers the imagination and he sort of runs out of words to describe it. And I like to think of it as a kind of, you know, think of the best moment in the spirit that you've ever had. Mm. You know, that moment where he just struck you with power and, and mm. love and you just felt them wash you and, oh God, that moment of mm-hmm. joy. I like to think that in heaven, these poor elders are trying to contribute to the unfolding of history and <laughs> on the universe. But every couple of seconds, they just have another one of those and they're oh, like, man, throw all their crowns at his feet and they're like crying on the floor. Yeah, and then yeah. they sort of pick themselves up and put I their crown it. back yeah. on and sort of no. sit down and be like, right, so what's what's the minutes from last week? Oh, here we go again. Glory, <laughs> <laughs> glory, glory. Oh, I can't be bothered. <laughs> and to me, I don't, uh, I've, I've, read somewhere that these creatures are seraphim which is some kind of exalted mm-hmm. angelic being you know kind of up there in terms of the pantheon of yep. angelic hosts mm-hmm. um but for me i suppose it's interesting that we have the ox and the eagle and the man and what's the other one the lion the lion and i think they're representative of the created order mm-hmm. And so, although they're clearly something else because they're covered in eyes and and that's kind of incredibly impractical and what kind of brain would process that? And, you know, you you can't even... What is even being conveyed? Yes. kind of run out, don't you? Yeah. And yet they somehow are like the pinnacle of the created order. And yet here they are in the presence of God endlessly Mm. just devoted in worship and i think for me we've got it's almost like the kind of representative but the archetype of created order here in the presence of god just giving him glory yeah i think that that's right to see and i remember somebody saying to me that like in normal like european monarchy type things there's a sort of hard rule that nobody sits higher than the yes king. yeah whereas in both isaiah's vision in chapter six where these things are named as seraphim and here in revelation four where the same scene is sort of being unfolded in a new way to john they are flying above the throne aren't they that's interesting and the one seated on it is not at all got the small man syndrome has he <laughs> He's no. not at all so no. troubled by the idea no that these things flying above him somehow impugns his authority. Yes. He is so regal, so it's settled. He's got no insecurities at all about his own position. Wow. And the creatures are obviously not thinking at all that they're flying around him and over him kind of de- de- degrades his authority and position at all either. You know, this is a level of supremacy that yeah. earthly kings in all their pomp will never reach. There's an that's great, Pete. I, I, absolutely. <laughs> There's an interesting little kind of tell there, and I wonder if it is a tell mm. um, where it says, "And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty.'" Because we're looking into a uh, a timeless kind of depiction, mm-hmm. and yet there is a sense in which this is specific. This is a time. This is a time whilst the historical clock is yeah. still running and John is getting older by the minute, a minute mm-hmm. older each time. And so the, there is this sense that there's the passage of time, but these incredible beings are just consumed 
the whole time. Yes. With devotion to God. and Yeah. If you are particularly strongly attached to the idea that heaven must somehow be outside of time, mm-hmm. then Revelation gives you so many challenges. Yeah. You know, there's silence in heaven for half an hour. We've got Who's a new keeping day and then what? another yeah. day. And it's yeah. like, wait a second. What's the meaning of these phrases being in here? Yeah. I think it's to challenge that very idea. I think God is working in a timeline to a degree but is he the Lord of time? Is he also outside of time? I think yes. But John is experiencing it in time, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's, he's fascinating. And, and it's always then and then after this. Yeah. And then. And he tells it in a narrative form, doesn't he? Yeah. A descriptive. Yeah. I was there. This is my, you know, like we mm. might tell a dream and it things That's follow right. on in succession, don't they? That's right. So verse nine then, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. (laughs) Put me in, coach. (laughs) I want to see. (laughs) It's glorious, isn't it? Do you know, I have recently become more and more convinced that heaven at large, the creatures in heaven, the the sort of fabulous array of created beings that seem to populate heaven, I think they learn. And I think they progressively learn about God through what he does. Right. And so... So they're watching the mystery unfold on earth. So when Peter says, you know, even angels long to look into these things Mm -hmm. in one translation, it's similar in all the other translations. He means that there's kind of things about God to do with us that angels haven't even begun to realise yet. Mm. And as it unfolds, they are amazed. And it provides them another moment to sort of throw their crowns on the floor and say, oh, God, I thought I had you figured out, but I sure don't. And I think it sounds something like this. When Satan fell, right, and there's war in heaven, which we'll read about later, you know, everybody gets that if you rebel against God, you receive judgment. Mm. That is the deal. and. What they have learned about God, the the casting the crowns moment for them then was to say, God is a righteous judge. Mm. And so when humans fall and sin, then, you know, someone once said, I can imagine the sound of a rattling of swords in heaven as they all sort of go, right, let's go down there. We, he must out. want us yeah. to kill the whole lot of them because yeah. they are clearly worthy of judgment. We know God to be a judging God. Wow. So blam, we, we're ready. Yeah. And then God says, wait, wait, wait watch what I'm going to do now. And they're all like grabbing each other's cloaks. And be like, How could God be just and the justifier of the wicked? Wow. What is the answer to this extraordinary yeah. mystery? God's like, oh, you guys are going to love this. You're going to wait. And, you know, and it unfolds. And yeah. every time it unfolds in my life, in your life, in everyone's life, I think they, they are staggered that mm. God can work his saving power and make right something that could be so broken wow. and heal wow. and be wow. merciful and kind of justify by faith and all of that stuff is just mysteries to angels yeah and i think this is what this is the um progressive and continual staggering of the angelic host wow. as they experience the unfolding that of the plan of god so so good and really they give us the kind of 
like a template, don't they, for worship. Worthy mm. are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. It's like basically anything, any product, any thing of any value that may be conceived of on the earth is yours. Yeah. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Wow. Jesus, we honour you today and we thank you for this incredible picture of heaven. And Lord, we want to orientate our hearts correctly towards you and, and just catch that spirit of worship that these incredible beings live in and produce and offer to you throughout day and night from all time. Lord, we want mm. to be part of that picture. Amen. Amen.